podcast that brings together founders, uh, also entrepreneurs, startups with angels, VCs, uh, family offices, investment firms. And uh, we want to remind everyone out there, we don't make recommendations to buy or sell. Um, you should definitely develop your own information, uh, not rely on us or any other one source. Um, but what we do do is find interesting people in the ecosystem of, uh, I guess we could call it the ecosystem of money, hopefully big money. And to that, to that uh, end, we have uh, been introduced to uh, Manveer uh, Sandhu, who is a venture fellow at uh, Sutton Capital. Welcome, um, Manveer. Thank you. It's great to have you. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be with you this afternoon. And you, for are, me. you are coming to us from a coffee shop in California, hopefully Silicon Valley, right? Yes, I'm in Los Altos right now at a coffee shop here. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, so, uh, first of all, welcome to the program. And I wanted to have you for a couple of reasons. Um, you're actually the second venture capitalist, uh, both of you are, are pretty young, who has a connection to the Air Force. The other one who's done a podcast with us is named Adam C. Grant. He's with... Um, Overlooked Ventures, which is a really cool fund uh, that aims at uh, diverse founders and um, is actually getting a lot of traction right now. And you are the second. So you are in the Air Force Reserve, are you not? Yes. Yes, I am. I am in the Air Force. I've been in for a few years now, and I work uh, in intelligence as an intelligence analyst, helping support uh, the mission at Travis Air Force Base, which is with cargo aircrafts. And uh, make sure to talk loudly because uh, 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 if you don't speak up, the the uh, the bugs in the coffee shop will not be able to, to hear what you're saying. Uh, we'll do. So, so why intelligence? That's interesting, and that's sort of a I think a pretty direct segue to venture capital. But why intelligence? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, this goes back a few years now, as I was trying to figure out what I want to major in, what do I want to, what do I want to study. And I came across uh, Joe Biden's uh, bio way back in the day. This was three, four years ago. And at one point, he chaired the Senate Intelligence Committee. And I was like, I want to do that one day. What can I do to learn intelligence? So I can't just become a senator overnight. Uh, one of, so the next best option was to join the military and join the military in the intelligence field. And I think it suits my personality as well. Uh, I'm much more of a geek behind the desk kind of guy. And that definitely makes uh, intelligence a good fit. Behind the scenes, um, you are probably the first um, young person in America to be inspired by Joe Biden. So uh, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. It's not the only reason, but that was one uh, highlight yeah. that I remember. Uh, yeah, you probably had no, never heard of intelligence. So what, 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 does, what can you tell us about what you do and did in the Air Force? Well, I can't go into too much detail for obvious reasons, uh, but I can definitely give an overview. One of them being uh, when an aircraft has to go from X to Y, as intelligence, our job is to help give them all the information they need to fly safely, and essentially what might get the, what might shoot them out of the sky, to be, uh, to be blunt. And as intelligence, our job is to make sure we know all the threats that are in the area that can uh, put the air crew in danger and uh, let the pilots know. So that's from the air crew perspective for planes, uh, but also uh, if you're deploying to country X, it's intelligence job to know what's happening in that country, what are the threats from a military standpoint, maybe from a civil standpoint, from a political standpoint, and let the people know that are deploying, 
what to expect and to give them as much information as we can so they're best prepared to go into that environment. So make the analogy between that and venture capital. Yeah, that's a great question. So the big thing is in the Air Force, when we're briefing an air crew for a specific mission, there's no room for error because if you get it wrong, uh, you can put people's lives in danger. Uh, similar to venture capital, when say you're investing a deal by deal basis through an SPV, all your capital is in that one deal. If you get it wrong, you're going to lose a lot of people's money in one deal. So the risk factor is equally as high, just in a different segment, but you're still at great risk. And I think that's a big connection in between intelligence work and venture capital investing is every investment you make, especially through an SPV, you have to be 100% certain or, well, 99.9% .9 certain that this is going to work. Uh, and if you have a fund, maybe the risk tolerance is a little less, but still you need a return and say a hundred million dollar fund. And if you assume half of it goes out the window, you need to return that hundred million using just maybe 50 million and grow it to maybe 500 million to where every investment you make, you need to have a high level of confidence, which is similar to intelligence. When, when you're trying to vet information, you need to go through all your processes to make sure that you trust the information that you've done all your homework. And that translates directly over into the diligence work for a deal. Well, let's segue from there right into applying that to uh, to venture capital investment. So, what are the you know in an in an Air Force model, you know, you've got the um, you've got the weather, you've got the speed of the aircraft, you have the skill of the pilot, and so on. What are the factors that you look at in a venture deal? And I want to point out you're you're pretty new to this, which is one of the reasons I wanted to, to have you on. I didn't. I, I, I'm not asking you to sort of act like you know everything, but I think that um, it's it's interesting to sort of, I really like having um, people come on when they're early in their career. I think it can be really interesting. Um, and uh, we're going to find out whether you're interesting or not, uh, Manveer. But, but uh, what is it to you as a, somebody new to this coming out of the Air Force what are what are you finding? Not what not what everybody says is important. What are you finding that's important? That's a great question. And, and uh, as you and, mentioned, and, and speak up as loudly as you can in that coffee shop. We'll do. We'll do. And then you make a great point. I'm definitely new to this, so I don't know everything, and I'm more than willing to admit that. Uh, one thing that I think about a lot, and this ties into my military background and some of my political background as well. One thing I value a lot is the people involved. I think. When you get a bunch of smart people together, the idea they made is probably really good. Now, what might go wrong are the people involved. So for me, one thing I value a lot is not only who is the team, but how do they know each other? Are these people that have known each other for weeks, months, or years? Uh, a company I talked to yesterday, I had a second call with them, and a few weeks ago I met them for the first time. I asked the founding team, I was like, how do you know each other? And what they mentioned was they met because of their spouses. So their spouses know each other and that's how the founders got introduced to one another. And the relationship goes back almost a decade. And for me, that gave me a high level of confidence in the company because if it goes south, it's not just the founders that get screwed over, it's also their partners. So there's buy-in from not just the core team, but also family is directly engaged. And I think that was something that meant a lot to me. 
and in the Air Force as well. I mean, it's a people business. If you can't trust the people you're serving with, the mission won't get done. So that level of trust that you need in the Air Force for missions to execute on, I think directly translates over into BC of, do I trust these people and do they trust each other? And how confident am I in that level of trust that they have between one another? So that's one thing I've been looking more into as I'm getting more and more in this uh, in this line of work. So if you had to choose between a great idea and a great team, which would you choose? I would say I would choose the great team. And I'll tell you why. I think a great team can eventually come to a good idea. But if you have a not so good team with a great idea, it'll never work because you need people to execute on that idea. So I would much rather have a team that is completely bought in, that trust each other, because even if the idea they have is not great, if they keep working at it and refining it over and over and over again, eventually they will come to something that is brilliant. And then you have a good idea and a good team. But it's much harder to get a good team, I think, because, I mean, people can be unpredictable at times. And if you can find people that get along well, then you have a winning solution. Okay, so say you have a good team and a good idea. We'll give you we'll give you the benefit of the doubt here. And uh, I know you've been going to a lot of meetings, hearing a lot of pitches. What else are you looking for in a pitch? One thing that I am beginning to come to the realization, sometimes the founder is not the best person to pitch the company. Because at times, the founder is the technical person. And if you spend all your time learning a technical trade, what did you not spend time doing? Uh, learning how to present probably. It's a different skill set. So that's one just tangent point. But one thing I look for is how well can someone explain a really complex idea and break it down into something that a five-year-old can understand? And how fast can they do that? If you only have four minutes to pitch, and I was at uh, the Silicon Valley Funding Forum yesterday, they had about a dozen startups pitch their company. A lot of firms sometimes spend minutes on end, just in introductions. And by the end of the four minutes, you still have no idea what the company is. So one thing that I'm looking for a lot now is how fast can you get to what you are trying to do? You only have so much time. And how efficient can you be in that process? How much information, crucial information, can you convey to the audience? So to, to get back to your question of, I guess, what I look for is how efficient can they convey what they are trying to do? in essentially as few words as possible. As the saying goes, brevity is beauty. <laughs> uh, I think, isn't it, brevity is the uh, essence of wit. Um, also true. But here's the thing. Okay, great. Say you got a great idea. Say you got a great team. Um, and um, the pitch is not great. Um, and so how do you get yourself... Here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to think out loud a little bit, uh, Manvir, because it strikes me that it's very possible for a team to be a great team and not a great team, not not great pitchers. Okay, not not somebody who even maybe not even people who can put together a great deck. And so, if you are in that, and also think about what you're saying now. You're saying, "Look, you got four minutes. I'm a really busy guy. I'm Man, Man Veer Sandu. I'm a I'm a venture capitalist. I got four minutes, okay. And um, in many respects, you would have to say this is a not a very 
it's kind of an unrealistic situation. And maybe what I'm really getting at is maybe it's not the best way to ascertain whether the team and the idea are going to make it or not. So I just throw that out there. I'm not really, I'm not really uh, disputing anything you say, but I think it just strikes me that, um, that it, it can be very difficult. I have started to ask people, um, describe your company in one sentence. And I have found, uh, to buttress your point, I have found that if people can't do that, then they're in trouble, pretty much. Yeah, basically. If they have to go in circles and in circles, you're like, I, I'm confused, I think you're confused, and now the whole audience is confused. Yeah. And no, the idea might be great, but now we have to look at the next company, then the next yeah. company, and just due to the nature of the business, it just falls out. It just falls down the cracks, no matter how and, good the company idea is. And you know, like you, I spend a lot of uh, part of every day listening to pitches. And one other thing I found: so I'm a storyteller, and I'm 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 think story is the secret secret sauce of everything, um, including startups. So what I see over and over is is founders telling their story from the beginning to the middle to the end the end being where they are today okay not the end being like what it looks like in 10 years but like where they are today and i find myself invariably telling them just start at where you are today <laughs> like nobody really cares like you know that you sold your bicycle to do this it's like it doesn't matter it's like where are you today what progress have you shown what do you think about that I, I think that is more valuable because you're talking about present time and you're hooking the audience into something you are doing right now. Like if you, for example, asked me, tell me about yourself. And I went all the way back to kindergarten. You're going to be like, I'm already lost. Why are you starting 25 years ago? Well, yeah. 24, well, I'm 24 now, so like 16 years ago. Wow. I think there is definitely a good reason to start present and then work your way backward. Kind of like a resume. Most of the time on a resume, yeah. you're starting with your most current job and then working your way back. Not the other way around, because if you're talking to someone, you're curious about what they're doing at this moment in time. And I think if more people did that, especially in some of the pitches you've seen, if they would have started with where they are right now, it, pro it may have it probably would have led to a better outcome by the end, because they would have hooked you in the beginning instead of, eh, let me go all the way back 15 years, 16 yeah. years. <laughs> that's a good, a good analogy, reverse chronological order. Can you think of anything else that's in reverse chronological order? In the tech world? It's a trick question. Yeah, I'm trying to think it through. I guess, say I, I bring a problem to you. Instead of telling me the history of the problem, tell me why is it a problem right now in this moment? Because many, many things you can say, this has been an issue for 50 years, and let me tell you why it's been a problem since the beginning or since the inception of this problem. But if you only have one minute to tell me the problem, tell me why it is a problem right now in this minute. And then tell me the full history of it and then break it down even more. So I think there is another uh, interesting place to use the reverse chronicle order. Re reverse chronicle order is in trying to express or convey a single problem and beginning with why it is a problem presently in the moment instead of going all the way back maybe 10, 15 years and giving the full hist historical breakdown of it and then maybe boring the other person on the line. <laughs> yeah, that's a much smarter answer than the one I had in, in mind. The one I had in mind is a blog. Blog is in reverse chronological order. 
you know, and we've gotten so used to it, we don't even think about it. But but that's another example of, of you know, storytelling from the present backwards, uh, which is kind of interesting. So here's I want to get very specific now. So I know you can't give away. I mean, you're an intelligence officer, so I know you're not going to give away anything you're not supposed to. But tell us about a pitch that you've seen in the last couple of weeks um, that really got you excited I, without giving away the golden goose, but what was it about it that got you excited? This one was a bit recent and uh, what got me excited was the technology they were using. Uh, this is to uh, essentially innovate in the aerospace industry and to replace combustion engines with a renewable energy source. Mm. It being hydrogen fuel cells. Now, we have combustion engines on most cars, and Tesla is now coming into electric vehicles. But not many industry players are in the fuel cell space, except Toyota, I think, really, with the Toyota Mirai. So the first thing that hooked me to the pitch, and when I saw the deck, was the technology they were using, which is hydrogen fuel cells. I was like, okay, that's definitely cutting edge, but why is this going to work? And as I was going through the deck, the thing that impressed me, that got me more intrigued in the country was the team. And the team really had the expertise to execute on the mission. And you see players, for example, it's an aerospace company. So some of the people part of this startup worked at NASA, JPL, Boeing, some were in the military in the past. So at the, immediately, you got a good sense that these are people that know what they're doing. And they have compiled a team that can execute on this. Now, fast forward from the pitch, I had an opportunity to talk to the founder. And after talking to the founder, who is the CEO of the company, uh, same person, I got a clear feeling that they are confident in what they're doing. And then I, asked, I also asked them about, how do you know your team? And then the founder began expressing how, for some of them, she worked with them in the past. Some of them have been students of hers because she's also a professor. So there was clear buy-in that these people know each other and they trust each other. And that was a fish that really got me, really got me excited. It was not just the technology and the industry, being an aerospace deal and in the Air Force, so planes is our bread and butter, but also the technology being used and then how the team knows each other. So after taking all that into account, I was like, hey, this might be something that, that can be a game changer. This is The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We're here with Manvir Sandhu, who is a venture fellow at uh, Sutton Capital in California, also an interesting fellow, an uh, Air Force reservist, um, and even has a political career that we're going to get to um, in a minute. But I, I, I did want to ask you, why did you want to get into this venture startup space? I mean, I think you probably had a lot of options. Um, is this something you've wanted to do for a long time or is this something, was there something about this that attracted you right, right now in present tense? That's an excellent question. And this kind of goes into what motivates me as a person and what makes me happy. And that is making a difference and knowing that I'm making a change in some way. So in the Air Force, for example, I'm, I know what I'm doing, the mission, providing combat ready airmen and trying to showcase American power in the world and to protect some of the values that we as Americans that we value a lot and to express that to the rest of the world I get that that makes that that gives me meaning uh, on the political side serving on a school board trying to improve education for the school district I went to school at and 
in that capacity, I know I'm making a difference and that makes me happy. And I can live my life with that. I can wake up the next day. I can wake up tomorrow and be happy about that. So you're in a school, you're on the school board of a school that you went to. What's the name of the school? Yes. Uh, Travis Unified School District in Fairfield, California. Uh, okay. I graduated from that high school in 2016. I went through K through 12. And four years later, I had the opportunity to run for office and I was fortunate enough to win. And now to answer your question about why venture capital, I think in BC, you have the same ability to make a difference and to make impact. For example, some of the biggest companies that we think about now, maybe Uber, Facebook, all these companies at some point weren't massive companies. They were just small ideas on a PowerPoint or in a college dorm room. And at that stage, who gave them money? Who believed in them? It was angel investors and venture capitalists coming in early, early on to help build something that goes on to change the world. That is something I want to be a part of. I want to find the next whatever company you have in mind when it's early stage and help foster them. And lastly, in venture capital, sometimes some firms are hesitant to lead the round. One thing I'm very comfortable with is leading, be that leading from a political side or trying to be a leader in the military at a more junior level. And I think in venture capital, there is a need for maybe a firm whose thesis revolves around I will only ever lead rounds. <laughs> like I'm not going to wait for anybody else to join the table. If nobody else joins, that's that's okay, because everybody else is waiting for someone to lead the round. So an idea I've been turning in my head, and maybe it doesn't make the most business sense, but from a value standpoint, if someone, if you told someone I invest and I only lead rounds, I'm always the first one in. I lead from the front. If I'm already in a business that is risky. I might as well go all the way and take the most risk mm -hmm. and be the one in the front trying to lead this industry. Um, I don't know if that's going to work or not. That's just something I've been thinking about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. And, and um, I, I, I'm assuming maybe that comes out of being in the military, being in that situation in a different context. Is that is that fair? I think so. So one of the things uh, I was once told uh, early on in my intelligence career was, so, you know the saying, never be the smartest one in the room? Uh, I don't know that saying, but but I, 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 do, I do have a comment, which I'll make on it in a minute, but keep going. Of course, of course. Essentially, the idea being, like, if you're the smartest one in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. That makes sense. <laughs> That's good. Uh, in the intelligence field, what they said was, at times, you might be the youngest person, maybe, a young airman, in the intelligence career, if you're in a room full of commanders, and you're there to give a briefing about topic X. There is a good chance that you're going to know something that nobody else in the room knows because they're all leading divisions of people doing multiple things at once, but you're the intelligence expert. So there's a chance that if something is, if something has been said and you disagree with, raise your hand and let that be known. You're leading, you're a leader in that position, essentially, that no matter what, no matter these folks outrank you, there is a certain room for you to lead and be the leader in regards to, hey, sir, just so you know, that's actually maybe incorrect. And this is why I think that, but now you make the best decision or man. And so I think that experience of being comfortable, being uncomfortable and being that person that when everyone else is maybe saying one thing, it's your responsibility to say, maybe, no, I don't think that's right. And I think on the venture capital side, that kind of translates over that motivation, that feeling of 
even if nobody else is ready to step in, I'm willing, I'm ready to go and be the first one in because this mm-hmm. is why I think that. So I think it does have a part to play. Interesting. Um, just not being scared. Uh, Manvir, the, uh, do you know why the, the person who thinks he's the smartest one in the room is never the smartest one in the room? Why, why is that? Because he thinks he's the smartest one in the room. <laughs> and therefore, he's not, he's therefore, not really the one smartest. That, well, therefore, if, that. if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're not listening. You're not like, you know, you're not getting the full picture. That means you're not the smartest one in the room. Yes. And yes. I, I have uh, actually found that to be fairly, almost always true. Now, sometimes Absolutely. you're a real genius. It's a different story. But for the most part, the person who thinks they're the smartest is not the smartest. So uh, and just because to clarify, if they were smart, uh, they would, if they were smart, they would never think of themselves that way. Ever. Absolutely. And just to yeah. clarify, that's not saying you're the smartest one in every single field of study. Right. It's just maybe right. in one specific topic of intelligence, you might be the subject matter expert in the room. So, and to make sure you express that to everybody and take that for what it is and to do what you need to do because you are the intelligence expert. So do what you're supposed to do, which at times might be to stand up and say, I disagree and this is why. So before I let you go, I want to ask you, um, a question. I, I don't think you've quite answered this yet, but what what is the most exciting thing about your new job as a venture analyst? You're just at the beginning of, I'm sure, a brilliant career. You're only 24, which means, um, I don't want to say it means you know nothing, but um, it means you probably think you know a lot. <laughs> um, but what, what, uh, uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but, um, I, I think you, uh, are in a situation to look at other people who have been doing this for a while and what, in terms of a role model, what do you see around you as in terms of w- how you would like to be? You mentioned the leadership. What else? Can you uh, repeat the last few words you said? Yeah, you repeated, you talked about leadership, but how of, of you know, the, the this new thing, new job for you, a new new path, um, what are you seeing around you that you want to emulate, that you want to be like, that you, that kind of people or could be role models? What about that? Yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, I am young and I don't know a lot. And by no means do I think I know a lot. And I am, I'll be the first to admit when I don't know something, uh, because the last thing I want to do is portray myself as something that I'm not. And uh, so I'm definitely the first to say I don't know something. And if I know something, then I might be like, okay, I know something about that. And I think that just comes from an, an, a profound sense of trying to always stay humble no matter what you're doing. Uh, because the moment you lose that, you're probably not going to, you'll probably lose a lot more things than you'll gain all of a sudden well, you think you know more than you do. Well, you know, knowing what you don't know is actually a real superpower, I think. I mean, knowing you don't know something is very important. And, a cor- you know, a corollary to the smartest person in the room, we shouldn't say smartest guy, we should say smartest individual in the room, is that um, if, you, if, you, if you know that you don't know something and you don't, so you're in a meeting, but you're not saying anything, you're quiet. My belief, and you know, I've been in a lot of meetings in my day. My belief is that people assume you're smart. I don't think they assume you're dumb. I think they assume you're smart. So 
you know, there's a, there's a lot to be said for keeping your powder dry and, um, uh, you know, absorbing it and listening and probably being a listener has got to be the most important thing, in my opinion, um, in any of these conversations and in so many other fields. But um, Manvir, we know you have a bright future ahead of you. And uh, we want to thank you for coming on the accelerator today. And I hope you will check back in with us regularly um, as you as you make your first, second, and third fortunes, and um, uh, become uh, the you know the congressman and then the senator from California. Um, we will we will be very delighted to uh, to stay posted on your progress. So thanks so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Michael, thank you so much for having me. Uh, sorry for some of the noise problems. Hopefully it wasn't too bad. It's been a well, pleasure talking with you and just chatting about the industry and the work we kind of do. Well, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully deals are being made in the coffee shop. Um, I think well, that's the only place they can happen. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you, Manvir. Man, Manvir thank you, Michael. from uh, Sutton Capital. This is The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. Um, um, uh, that is me, and uh, we will be back here with another podcast before you know it.